As we focus on the great I am, one aspect especially of that name is the fact that God is a spirit and he is spiritual and that's a very important understanding that we must have. We're looking at the different attributes of God that are not in the moral arena but in who he is in his essence. And uh, this really does lay the groundwork for a proper and full understanding of our God. Missionary John Patton would never forget his father's deeply ingrained habit of having time with the Lord. He had daily devotions. Day after day he would hear his father praying in the next room of the little cottage that they lived. And he mentions that even as uh, a boy of six, he noticed the bright countenance his father perpetually wore. He later said uh, that while the outside world might not understand the light on his father's face, we children knew that it was a reflection of the divine presence in which his life was lived. Patton recalls, Never in temple or cathedral, on mountain or in glen, can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with men than under the humble cottage roof of thatch and oaken wattles. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and would shut itself up again. In, once again in that sanctuary closet and hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubts with the victorious appeal, he walked with God, why may not I? What a testimony. And my, that, that reality was vital for John Patton because he went through grave difficulties and breathtaking dangers as a missionary in South Africa. He wrote, without the abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my Lord and Savior, nothing in the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. Well, as we look at that wonderful testimony, Patton didn't see anything. It was the reality of God. God is a spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 24 that was already read here today. John chapter 4, verse 24. We're going to look at the spirituality of God. As you know, we live in a very humanistic culture, and everything is materialistic. It's what we can see, hear, measure, experience. And the spiritual may be acknowledged, but it is not first and foremost on the consciousness of most people. That's why uh, it's very dangerous to be over-entertained by this world's material, limited, corporal type of perspective on life, a non-spiritual biblical perspective. That's why teenagers struggle so often because uh, the things of God seem so far away because they do not understand what we're going to see here in John chapter 4, verse 24. When the Lord was witnessing to the woman at the well, and she was wanting to argue about worship and all of those kinds of things. He just gets right to the quick in verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. A genuine relationship with God, a genuine understanding of God is all uh, 
going to be comprehended spiritually based upon the truth of God's Word and the understanding of that by faith, then the spiritual reality becomes our reality. We must remember, folks, that we are created, each one of us, a living spirit. Every person in this auditorium will live somewhere forever. And all you have to do, and it's always so difficult, and I do not say it lightly, but the minute you have to, to see someone laid to rest, you see someone at a visitation, you're very aware of the fact that the body without the spirit is not alive. And it's not just that the, the body died, but the spirit is gone. We are in essence spiritual. We are made in the image of God. And God is spirit. And so for us not to understand this about God means we don't understand ourselves. And we do not understand what the essence of a relationship of man is with God. So stay with me. Again, <clears throat> these different uh, uh, messages have a little bit of academic uh, twist to them simply because I want to give you these different truths. But uh, if you listen closely, it'll become very practical. Number one, God is immaterial and incorporeal. And the, I'll look at immaterial and then incorporeal. First of all, God in substance is not material but spiritual. As I've already said, God is spirit. Now, if you were to look at the original, the Greek there in John 4.24, you would see that before the word spirit, there is no article. And it's also that way uh, uh, somewhat here in the English is God is spirit. The statement defines God's nature as spiritual. Now, we can partly understand it, well, very small, but uh, we can understand that we have an awareness of ourself, a self-consciousness, and that who we really are is not what we see, but who we are inwardly. One of the things that people wish oftentimes I've heard it said, I wish somebody would just understand me. <laughs> well, you're talking about your inner person when you say that. And then the incorporeal part, God does not have any aspect of a body, no refined matter either. Luke 24, verse 39, this was after uh, the Lord had come out of the grave, was resurrected, and he was meeting with his disciples, and they thought he was a spirit. Now, remember, Jesus Christ, who is, the, who is the second person of the Trinity, who is, of course, in essence, spiritual, God is spirit, he humbled himself and took on a body and actually became a man. One of the great mysteries, but glorious truths. That's the key to our salvation. And so he's showing that this isn't a spirit, and he defines it this way, that for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Uh, behold my hands and my feet, that it is myself, handle me and see. And so there's a, this, a spirit does not have flesh and, and bones. Well, you might say, well, Pastor, you know, I read, especially in the Old Testament, about God's face, God's arm, God's hands, 
Well, you also read about God's wings <laughs> as eagles and other things. What we call this uh, anthropomorphism, it's a figurative language giving God human characteristics so that we can understand it. By the way, I say this a lot. Aren't you thankful for the Gospels where Jesus is man and we can understand him because of that? In the Old Testament, he was given the characteristics of different aspects of how his spiritual being in, in relationship to man, it would seem as though it was his arm of strength or it was his face or voice or whatever. The voice, of course, was heard. And so we need to understand that that was just God's loving uh, work to help us understand him. On a number of occasions, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ came in a pre-incarnate uh, appearance. We call that a theophany. And there it appeared as though he had a body and, uh, and did speak with uh, those, for instance, with Abraham. You have the Lord coming there. You have, I believe, the Lord with the, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace and so forth. And let me say there's one thought here, and this will actually be our last point, but keep it in mind. All of the way God shows himself in the Old Testament in by using this figurative terminology, how he takes on these theophanies, and then, of course, Jesus Christ himself here as the God-man on earth, it makes it very clear he's a person. He's not just a force. Very clearly a person. We'll talk about that. Number two. God is invisible. Now, stay with me. I'm going to be moving rapidly here. Moses told the Israelites that they had not seen God, Deuteronomy 4.14, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire." Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Don't make an image of God, for you have not seen God. Now, God told Moses in Exodus 32, 20, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And so it was not possible in our human uh, state to be able to see the invisible God. John the Baptist taught the same thing. The people there, John 1.18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Paul calls God the invisible God, Romans 1.20, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? 1 Timothy 1.17, now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Now, folks, right now, God the Father is here. He's omnipresent, but you don't see Him. Now, you're aware of Him if you're saved and you have the Spirit of God He's manifesting the reality of the Father and the Son. And, and the Lord Jesus in a spiritual reality is here too, where two or three are gathered. There's a very special presence of the Lord Jesus. But you see, folks, 
we would respond improperly if we could see something. It is spiritual. We have to respond by faith to truth and respond to that which we cannot see, but we believe. Man did not see the reflection, uh, man did see, excuse me, the reflection of God in his glory. Uh, in Exodus 3, 6, we've referred often to the burning bush there. Moreover, he said, that's God, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I like what Tory, the great evangelist pastor, said, a man may see the reflection of his face in a glass. It would be true for the man to say, I saw my face, and also, I never saw my face. Now, folks, um, you have not seen your face. I know that's hard to now. When you're a Dutchman, you can see your nose. I'm telling you. Uh, there are certain of us, some of you have little noses. You hardly can see that either. Now, you say, I don't doubt, no, I want everybody here trying to see how much of your face you can see. We'll have a bunch of contorted things here, and I don't want to get tickled up front here. But uh, now you say, well, I've seen my face. I know what I look at. No, that's just a reflection of your face. And, uh, and so... God gives, gave Israel some reflections of his glory, and that happened even for Moses. It is wonderful to know, though, the redeemed will see him. Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. When we get to heaven... Uh, we're going to get to see him. I just, I used this illustration, I think just a few weeks ago, but I'm going to do it quickly again about the young man who was um, at, uh, became blind at 10. And despite this handicap, he was a very intelligent, handsome young man. And a, um, he was attending graduate school in England and he met the daughter of an English admiral and they became engaged and uh, he had never seen her, of course. But he loved her very much. He really knew who she was because of their relationship. Uh, but she, he had not seen her. Well, he, the admiral worked out a very special, some of the latest uh, medicine at that time to have a treatment for his loss of sight. And when the gauze was taken off at the wedding ceremony, everyone was holding bated breath, but it worked. And the first time he ever saw his bride was at the wedding and uh, he was uh, just overwhelmed. He said, you're more beautiful than I ever imagined. Now, folks, we know spiritually. We see spiritually the glory of Jesus. But I got good news for you. If you know Christ as Savior, the blinders are going to come off, and you're going to see him in his full glory, and you're going to see the glory of the Father and of the Spirit of God. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Now, listen, don't worry about the golden streets and all that stuff people talk about. What makes heaven is God himself. What makes heaven special is Jesus Christ, and you will see him. And it's important for us to realize then that God is seen through spiritual eyes. Folks, real reality, if I use that terminology, is spiritual it's that which lasts. That it's what's really real in a person. It's what's real about God. And so many people live in this temporal, limited, material world. That's all they see. William Evans says, 
He is apprehended not by the senses, but by the soul. Hence, God is above sensuous perceptions. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16 intimates that without the teaching of God's Spirit, we cannot know God. He is not a material being. Laplace swept the heavens with his telescope, but could not find anywhere a God. He might just as well have swept a kitchen with his broom. Since God is not a material being, he cannot be apprehended by physical means. Now, I hope this helps you. And that's where you've got, that's why it is so vital that we stay in full relationship with God. Let me read, as was referred to earlier, 1 Corinthians 2.10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God." Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. Note this, comparing spiritual things with spiritual and would be words, the Word of God. That the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I'm telling you, folks, when you come to know Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells you, and then you come to a place there's nothing between your soul and the Savior and the Word of God, uh, you begin to not only read, but let the Spirit of God illumine, and you become into a relationship with the Lord. You know that He's a person. You understand who He is. You see clearer than if you could see with your physical eyes. This is what, unfortunately, many Christians miss most of their life. God's not intellectually comprehended. We use our mind, and we're able to understand what the Bible is saying. But uh, the Bible, Dwight L. Moody says, the Bible without the Holy Spirit is a sundial by moonlight. I mean, it's just, uh, you cannot figure it out. And so, therefore, we must uh, be humble in this whole matter uh, Robert Fulgham once sat behind a, an Australian carpenter on an airplane, and they struck up a conversation about theology. The carpenter declared that the, his theology had a lot to do with fleas and a dog. And the man said, how so? Arguing whether or not God exists, he said, it's like fleas arguing whether or not the dog exists. <clears throat> that reminds me of an old story that I believe first appeared in a British newspaper about a family of mice who lived inside a large piano. All the dark spaces of their world were filled with sound and harmony. At first, the mice were impressed by it. They drew comfort and wonder from the thought that there was someone who made the music, though invisible to them, above yet close to them. They loved, loved to think of the great player whom they could not see. <laughs> then one day, a daring mouse climbed up part of the piano and returned very thoughtful. He had discovered how the music was made. Wires were the secret. Tightly stretched wires of graduated links which trembled and vibrated. They must revise all their old beliefs. None but the most conservative could any longer believe in the unseen player. Later, another explorer carried the explanation further. Hammers were now the secret. Numbers of hammers dancing and leaping on the, on the wires. This was a more complicated theory, but it all went to show that they lived in a purely mechanical and mathematical world. The unseen player came to be thought of as a myth, but the pianist continued to play. There's a lot of truth to that, folks. 
science today is a bunch of mice looking at what they can see and totally missing the creator, the origin of the universe, the one who is sustaining it. They do not have spiritual eyes to see. And, uh, and this is why uh, your worldview makes all the difference. But your worldview cannot just be intellectually conceived of or you're going to, to struggle. You've got to know your creator, not just know about him. So therefore, you must be fully surrendered to him. Also, God is not just emotionally apprehended. We must not gauge our spiritual fellowship and growth based on how we feel or our experiences. Again, this goes to our sensory perceptions. The human personality, one writer said, is, consists of uh, 80% emotions and 20% intellect. Well, I'd say that's probably true with uh, most of us. And, uh, and so it's very easy for us to look to the emotional aspect. That's why there's so much contrived emotion many times in worship. And folks, if that's the case, it blinds us to the spiritual. Very dangerous. And so remember, it is more real than that. It is your spirit. To help you understand that, I say this often. You can be grieving as a believer and shedding tears and yet have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. You can be disappointed and saddened by circumstances that haven't turned out like you want them and yet have joy in your heart because you are in tune with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is in your heart. See, that is spiritual reality. Uh, now, the reason we trip up on this is that um, the Spirit of God, as First Timothy or First Corinthians chapter two says, um, quickens those who are spiritual. First Corinthians three verse one follows right on the heels of that that I read earlier. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, fleshly, even as unto babies in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And so, folks, every moment we live not dependent on the Spirit of God, not surrendered to Him, not allowing the Spirit of God to illumine our hearts, we are just thinking in the normal uh, physical realm by our emotions, by our intellect, and we do not have the capacity to have the spiritual relationship or understanding that God wants us to have because God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you think it's important to stay spiritual? By the way, being spiritual is not having good habits as a Christian. Being spiritual is to be filled with the spirit, completely yielded to him, and allowing him to have control. That's why we get messed up emotionally. That's why we get messed up in our thinking. That's why we have uh, frustrations and all the other things in our life is when we are thinking without the empowerment, illumination, and strengthening of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we've got to be willing to trust God's Word and obey it. A.W. Tozer said, if we could bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must think of God more nearly as He is. That's why it's important for us to understand. He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, and He is spirit. And we must not gauge Him on the limited human perspective. That's why carnal Christians think totally 
uh, different than surrendered Christians. Little Johnny got a toothache. And he was about four years of age. And one night he, there was a family gathering and he was just crying and crying. We can all sympathize with that. And he went from one lap to the next lap. I mean, aunts, uncles, uh, cousins, uh, mom, dad, grandparents. I tried his dad's shoulder uh, and just all of that, but nothing would do. Nothing suited him. Uh, in the course of 10 minutes, he had been on the lap of everybody in that room. He could not find rest. He could not find comfort. And uh, he was just miserable. Well, the problem was he had a toothache. That toothache had to be taken care of. You know, folks, when we're not in that right relationship with God, we've got a toothache. We've got problems. Now, we have, you know, we'll have problems when we are right with God, but we know how to navigate those things. It's like getting the problem solved. And we're thinking right. We're thinking biblically. We have the supernatural involvement of God. Well, you know, it's amazing how Christians go around trying to get comfort from everybody, but the problem is they haven't dealt with their own sin. They haven't dealt with their own stubbornness, haven't dealt with their own root of bitterness, haven't dealt with things that are keeping them in a non-spiritual state, and therefore nothing is working. And guess who gets blamed? God. Number three, God is alive. He is the living God. Joshua said in Joshua 3.10, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from among you and talks about the people of the land. He is the living God. He has feeling, power, activity. He's the source of all life. Note this very important verse, John 5.26. For as the Father hath life in himself... See, life emanates from the very source of life, that's God. So hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Psalm 36, 9, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see life. Oh, there's nothing like a life, a new little baby. Just, that's why the sacredness of life, folks, we have to hold on to. It comes from God. I remember as a little boy, I raised pigeons, and I won't take time. I don't have time to go into that. I really enjoyed that. And uh, I had uh, very um, uh, top-level pigeons, and they, were, they cost a little bit to get them. And I know to you, pigeons are a nuisance, to, but I had the homing pigeons and those kinds that would roll and do different kinds of things. But the biggest thing I enjoyed was the, when the eggs hatched and you saw the little squabs. I felt like a grandpa, you know, and uh, I don't know what a grandpa feels like, but I, uh, I was so excited. There's something about life. It's just so energizing, and uh, it was exciting, but not just uh, life as we think of it, but spiritual life, and anything out of connection with him is not truly life. Oh, the Lord Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not, but to steal, for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that she, they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Folks, if you want to live, be in spiritual oneness with your God. The very source of life. You look at all the power of the universe. The one who's created it all. The one who sustains it all. He indwells us. And when we're right with Him, 
the spiritual becomes real and life, even through the difficult times, there is a, there is a refreshment, uh, just a joy, a thriving that comes because we have spiritual life. We're right with God. Number four, God is a person. He has self-consciousness and self-determination. Thiessen, that we've quoted often, says, self-consciousness is more than consciousness. As a conscious being, man at times has feelings and appetites which he does not relate to himself. As such, he thinks spontaneously but not, does not think of what he thinks. The brute probably can do all this also. But as a self-conscious being, man relates his feelings, appetites, and thoughts to himself. Likewise, self-determination is more than determination. The beast has determination, but it's mechanical. But man has the feeling of freedom and makes his choices from a within in view of motives and ends. I know it's a little complicated, but uh, God is a person, and our personhood, we are made in his image. That's why, as we quote Exodus 3.14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am, the very root of Jehovah. Uh, he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. He is a person. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. And let me just quickly go this. He has the psychological characteristics of personality. He has intellect. I'm not going to read the verses here. He has sensibility. God so loved the world. He has volition, for I came not came down from heaven, John 6, 38, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He speaks, Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He obviously sees, Genesis 11, 5, he came down to see the city and tower. Hearing, Psalm 94, 9, he ha that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? If he's created the ears, <laughs> he obviously hears, and form the eyes, shall he not see? Uh, he repents. In other words, based upon man's will, he changes his direction and course. Anger, jealousy, uh, he's compassionate, he's the creator, he's the upholder and sustainer and ruler. Great verses that go with that. And then just looking at his names, he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. Jehovah Zikhnanu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Folks, he is a person. He is, we're honestly very little persons <laughs> compared to the of the powerful personality of our God. So let me conclude with this. Because of our regeneration, we have been given new life in Christ. Because we are spiritually now able to fellowship with God, we have the right to meet with God person to person because we have the Holy Spirit in our regenerated spirit we have a oneness of relationship with him judicially, and therefore we can practically have a oneness of fellowship closer than any person that, that we have on this earth. We get very close to some, especially our wives or husbands, but there is a oneness that is a glorious reality. 
And it's so sad, as I've often given illustrations about how you, you can have a wonderful Thanksgiving meal or a wonderful uh, meal that somebody's gone to great expense to, uh, to make for you. But if you, a uh, half hour before, got so hungry you ate three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you're going to come to that meal and you're not going to be able to eat it. And folks, we fill ourselves on the husks of this world. And we allow ourselves to be satisfied with things that are not real life, not genuinely of God, not spiritual. So therefore, this world seems so powerful to us, and the delights of God seem so far away. Satan wants to lie to you and tell you God isn't a person. He's way up there. He really doesn't care about you. My friends, he is a person. He is a spirit. He made you into an eternal spirit. You're made in his image. You have a will. You choose him. He responds to you. Everything that the Bible says is real, and he will meet the deepest needs of your soul. Finally, here, Dr. J.H. Jowitz said this wonderful uh, truth. Let us see to it that we do not far bow to a tendency as to enthrone a law in the place of a companion, exalt a force in the place of a counselor and friend, a something not in ourselves that makes for righteousness when translated into religious speech, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When translated into the New Testament evangel, it becomes the communion of the Holy Ghost. Our fellowship is not with a something, but with a somebody, not with a force, but with a spirit, not with it, but with him. And so, friends, we've got to get it accurately in our minds. And I can tell you right now, if your heart's open at all to the Spirit of God, he'll make this clear to you. Everything in this life that matters is spiritual. And we have to make decisions, folks, to realize it's foolish, foolish, foolish for us to live according to the flesh. And we're going to miss all that God has for us, all that God wants to do in us, all that God wants to do through us. We will lose that joy and that wonderful thrill of knowing God and increasing in our knowledge of Him. It's a tragic thing. And friend, if you don't know Christ as Savior, this cannot become a reality. But the moment you accept Christ and trust in Him alone, the Holy Spirit comes into your very spirit and you begin to live. Let's bow for prayer.